Hi, and welcome to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. Every week we watch a movie and sit down here to talk about it. I'm Mel. I'm Katie. And we're your hosts. This week we watched Mad Max Fury Road, directed by George Miller and released in 2015. The plot of Mad Max Fury Road, as written by me, goes like this. In a bleak future where resources are scarce and the ruling men exploit the few fertile women for breeding, Imperator Furiosa uses her war rig and badass skills to drive five of them towards escape. Yeah. Um, I think... Oh, can I just quickly... Yeah. Spoiler warning. So, if you haven't seen it yet, uh, maybe come back when you have. All uh-huh. right. Go. And I have a cold this week, so if I sound weird, that's why. Um, I think that what you've written is um, is good. I think there's actually a whole bunch of different factions like tribes and stuff spread out around the place. So if I remember vaguely from so, and, what I remember. And the titular Max has been kidnapped by one of the factions. Yeah. Because um, so Max is in this, but you, it's hard to write a plot summary that includes him. He's really just kind of, he's been kidnapped, used as a, a blood bag for the bad guys, and he escapes from that and helps Charlize and the women. That's sort of how it goes. Yeah, he just he's kind of along for the ride a little bit. Yeah, uh, so I think if I remember correctly... In the first one, he was like a cop, but I think by this stage, that whole system might have fallen apart as well. Okay. Like they used to have road cops after the like end the road of the road warrior. Yeah. Um, after the end of the world, and then that kind of fell apart. Um, in the third one, there's Thunderdome, and that's in a junk town that I can't remember the name of. That's run by Tina Turner, mm. and that's different to where he is now. So I think there's like. There's like tribes basically all around the place and they have different ways of doing things. And currently we're in this one that's run by a guy called Immortan Joe. And Joe is, um, he has all the breeder wives and right. he's like, yes. that's the way that he runs it. I, and they all kind of live in the same universe where there is not enough water and not enough fuel and not enough. Yeah. And people are, and in this one, again, I haven't seen the other, the earlier ones, but in this world also people are really sick. So there's very few women who are able to have children and a lot of the men are very sick with what seem like tumours. Yeah, which I think is to do with, uh, it seems like there was some kind of nuclear apocalypse or something and then Mm. it's made people sick and there's no food and there's all this sort of stuff going on. Yeah, And there's a town that seems to be constantly on fire that um, where they get their gas and their bullets from. Yeah. And that town seems to have some sort of like, Alliance with Immortan Joe's Citadel is what it's called. Yep. And Citadel has like a green hill thing in it. Yes, that grows food and also they have a way of getting fresh water there. Yeah, he pumps water up out of the ground. So like, so Citadel is, has got a lot of stuff that a lot of people need. So there's a lot of people who go there. That's all explained. Not so much explained as like just you kind of just thrown at you in the opening five minutes. Although it kind of, sorry, it all kind of fascinates me because it's got these really interesting themes. Because the first three obviously are uh, set in Australia, and this is meant or filmed here at least. And this one was not filmed in Australia for one of those um, weird reasons, which is that the drought broke. So it was supposed to be filmed here, but the drought broke outside Broken Hill, and they filmed in South Africa instead. But I think it doesn't. I think the fact that it's filmed here or in South Africa actually works really well for it because basically what it's exploring is colonialism and like humans, particularly men, trying to conquer the land and failing and these really broad themes of how the land and humans work together, but it doesn't really work because these humans have tried to have this conquering attitude to the land rather than working with it. Yeah, and there's all this, there's sort of these um, themes that run through it, like lines that run through it, we are not things and who killed the world and all that sort of stuff that's about that kind of thing. I just think it's, um, 
Apart from the fact that, I mean, this is just an awesome movie. Like, it's just so much fun. There are certain moments when I... She yeah, says fun. I didn't have a lot of fun watching it. I, I think I it's did. a great movie. I just don't think it was fun. I did. I had loads of fun watching it. There are just these moments where, like, the you know, when the they were in the the big rig, they're going back the war rig, and they're going back towards Citadel. Yeah. And the the camera like pans back, and it's got all the guys on the um the pole cats. The poles yep. coming down, and oh my god, I was just like, oh. Okay, so yeah, no, I, I've, and a whole bunch to, of other yeah, stuff. I the should, fire tornado. I should separate that. I think it's a great movie, and it's amazingly made, and it's got these amazing themes. And I'm probably going to give it a really good score. I just I found it an incredibly stressful experience to watch. Um, yeah, it wasn't stressful. If you have any triggers around abusive men, or even weirdly bushfires, and like the Australian environment a bit kind of there's this bit where they drive into um just this whole cloud of dust and they everyone like puts on their goggles and covers their mouths and I had this really triggering experience of living through bushfires which anyone who's who's lived in Australia a long enough time will probably have been through and it's that so I think if you're a bit sensitive you might find it a bit difficult because this is a really harsh world but it doesn't mean I didn't like the movie or think it was good I just had a a difficult experience watching it okay see I didn't really get Mm. that no that's and not everybody will but yeah I I for me, that was a thing. No, that wasn't really a thing for me. I didn't really bother. It doesn't. I mean, there were certain parts that I thought that's really awful sort of stuff. Yeah. But nothing that really like upset me or anything. Mm. The violence, I think, is like it's it's sort of necessary to tell the story. I mean, it's a post post apocalyptic. It's much world. less gory than I thought it was going to be. And there's no no sexual violence at all. No, we don't see well, any. It's implied. Caesarian scene. Yeah. Notwithstanding. But yeah. it, it's impl- there's implied sexual violence, yeah. but sexualized violence, but you don't see it. And yeah. you also don't see most of the deaths. You don't see a lot of the gory stuff. Mm. The camera always like cuts away just before somebody dies or something like that. I think and- the goriest kind of thing that I can think of is at the end of the movie, there's Immortan Joe has like half his face ripped off. Yeah. But you know, he's yeah, the bad and guy. the um the girl who's pregnant who dies and then has a post-mortem abortion. Of that. Yeah, that's you don't see any of it. It's really, really like horrifying thought of it, but you don't actually see it happening. You see no gore from it. Mm. Um, and I do kind of wonder how much of that is um, is the fact that uh, George Miller, the director, his wife edited it. Oh, and, um, is that his and wife? He, she said, oh, why do you want me to edit it? I've never edited an action movie before, mm. like a whole action movie before. And he was like, well, I don't want you to edit it like an action movie. Ah. So I think that might play into some of that stuff. It's um, uh, yeah, they might okay. not have shot it as well, but there's a lot of like cutaways and things that I wondered whether she had anything to do with that. Oh, interesting. Um, I'd- but yeah, there was like you don't really. I mean, it's violent, but a lot of the violence is not presented straight on screen. It's kind of more implied. Mm, like the, yeah. you know, it reminds me of the um the Andalusian dog. Or oh, Andalusian- yeah, and Chien Andalou. Yes, yeah, and really Andalou. early Spanish film. We'll link to it in the show notes. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, where they the eye, tr- eye yeah, they're going cutting. to slit an eyeball, but. At the last moment, it cuts away and is like um, a cloud going across yeah. the moon. Yeah, that's what it reminded me of, basically. Yes. It's like just before. Cause, so you know exactly what's going to happen and it cuts away just before that happens. Yeah. And you don't have to see any of the really nasty stuff, Um, which is, I, I don't know. I mean, it depends on what you're going to see it for. But I appreciated that because I, I, really, I really like getting all the action stuff without the like mm. necessarily a lot of the gore. I don't mind gore sometimes. And it needed enough to make you feel the real stakes that these women were facing yeah exactly and and Um, you definitely if there's one thing that there was no lack of it was stakes i think also 
I appreciate how much the women are players in the movie. Mm. I've heard a lot about the feminism about it before, you know, like the there's the whole a big thing at the moment because the MRAs want to boycott it and it makes me so happy and it's all over the news and everybody's just like, I'm going to see it twice sort of a thing. Yeah. But um, what made me happy was like the women get to be in the fighting. They're not, you know, held up. Not just in the fighting. They're also all of those women who are escaping on the war rig all have like mechanical skills as well. Like they, they, but they all at various times get sent off to do particular jobs on the truck. Yeah, some of them. I mean, I mean some of them are. Uh, they all have different. They have particular at least skills. personalities. Yeah. I mean, I don't think Cheeto has any particular skills. She mostly runs away. But then at the end, that's like all. Then there's this fake out at the end where mm. you think she's going to run away, and then she ends up helping Furiosa. Um, yeah, which, which is great. Yeah. You know, and they all get to, and they all get to have their little like moments and stories and things, which I thought was nice. Yeah. They're not just cargo. No. Or like, and they're not things. Basically. Never. Like all um, seven people who, uh, eight people who end up on that truck. Yeah, have some some bring something to it. If you include Nux and Max, the five women, they're not all on there at the same time. I think we've lost one of the women by the time Nux yeah. gets onto the truck. And Furiosa, they all they all contribute something yeah. to being. I there. was I was thinking about all the uh, mothers, yep. the many mothers that they pick up. So there's actually oh, there's a there's whole bunch like more. The Megan Gale gang, eight of them, something yeah, like so- that. something like that. Because when I was when I was trying to put together the action sequence at the end, like mm. where everybody is, because it gets kind of hard. Um, I do like that they set up all of the rules of this truck and this world without dialogue. There's not a whole lot of dialogue in this movie, like no. without expositioning it. But they set up all of these rules well before we get to that final fight, so that you know, like when she sticks her foot down on the pedal, this is going to happen, and like there's what there's a knife in the thing, and you know, there's all these little rules that they set up all the way through the movie without like calling too much attention I was to it. Actually, thinking about that one while I was driving home, because you, I have a real sense of the mechanics of the truck. Like, you know, we all learn that there's two engines. We learn how much power it can take. We learn that it can cope with sand, but not too much. We learn, we you kind of learn how it works the way yeah. that Furiosa obviously does. She knows this truck and knows what it needs and how it, how it can best keep them going. And there's like a massive truck that we spend most of the movie mm. in. But yeah, the movie kind of, it doesn't waste any time no. <laughs> getting going. Oy. Like it God, is no. just like foot to the floor the whole, that, the way. whole way through. But it also, even though it's all action and it's all go, it still takes the time to set up all of these things in those action scenes, which is, I think, the mark of a really, really good filmmaker. And one of the reasons why people are praising this so much is that, like, he has an excellent understanding of the language of action films. Mm. And so he knows when he can put in certain things and certain bits of information without it slowing down the movie or anything like that. And it's, you know, when you get to see that work on the screen, it's a real, like, masterpiece. I, yeah, I was thinking that it was had really um, really well done pacing as well because the action scenes are really intense and you do get all your exposition thrown at you in the middle of craziness. But when an action scene ends, you do – it. Then stops and we build to the next one. Like there's a really mm. good sense of build, climax, build, climax, build to the finale kind of thing. Yeah, and then the longest climax, uh, the longest sorry, the longest um, break is before the big fight at the end. I kind of mm. like. I thought it was neat. I mean, I just like. Um, I I think also uh, I like Max. Mm. Max mm. is like an odd little beast in this movie. He's really really tender. And has very bad PTSD in this movie, but he's also, he's running on this survival instinct. And then Furiosa kind of gives him something else to run on for a little while. Yes. And, uh, 
it's interesting to see the interplay between them and all that sort of stuff. But he's such a like monosyllabic yeah. kind of guy. Like the most he talks, I think, is in the intro to the movie when he explains he's got a what's voice going over. on. And then for the rest of the movie, he just sort of he he does this little grumbling thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, it got to a point where I was still trying to work out what his accent, what accent he was doing, because I was because it's all just monosyllabic. I didn't really worry about the accents because uh, I mean, no, I think I'm he might sure. be meant to be South African. Um, Nicholas Hult. Um, had almost all of his lines ADR'd from what I could tell from the movie. <laughs> I could, I mean, I could hear that very clearly that it was all ADR'd. There was a lot of ADR, like a lot. Well, cause I mean, there's just so many explosions and big loud. No, but there's things. ADR in like quiet scenes. Is like, there? you know, the nighttime scene when the old lady shows the, you know, n- young nature loving nurturer girl. The seeds. The seeds. Yep. That scene was mostly ADR'd as well. Oh, okay. And that's all quiet. I mean, I, I just, like, I didn't care. <laughs> it didn't bother me. It was just something that I noticed that there's a lot of ADR in this movie. Yeah. I do wonder how much of it is also, like, background noises on sets, how much of it is people's accents going in and out. Because those, I mean, those older women were all very Australian. Yeah. Very strong Australian accents. The border town, not border town, the- uh, Most of the, the non-major bullet- characters were genuinely Australian. The young women weren't- Who else? No, the young, I mean, but the young women were, like, a bunch of famous models. Because yeah. there was, what's her name, well, Huntington Whiteley, a- and yeah, Zoe Kravitz. Rosie, Rosie Huntington Whiteley, I think. What, yeah, what, I think, aren't there a bunch of sisters? And anyway, and she's one of them. Anyway, we have Rosie Huntington Whiteley and um, Riley Keogh, who is um, Priscilla Presley's daughter. Okay. Not, not Priscilla, the other one. One of the, anyway, she's like Elvis's granddaughter. Um, So they're kind of like famous young women. Those th- That little group in the truck. They, they the were only famous. one I knew was Zoe Kravitz. Yeah, me too. I looked, these are the ones I looked at afterwards. But they, they were kind of famous. But then a lot of the, if there was ever sort of townspeople or just sort of random extras who with the, with the line, they were often actually Australian. And there were some Australian actors in there doing a few of the villains as well. There were some genuine accents going around. Yeah. Well, a lot of the villains were. So you had John Howard, who I didn't recognize at I all. didn't recognize him either until I saw the credits. Yeah. And then I was like, oh. I mean, the three big leader dudes, I think, are all Australian. So there's the bullet farm guy who goes blind, and then and and he gets the um the music that's in the trailer. Um, because the rest of the time they have their own musical accompaniment that comes with them, which yeah. makes me so happy. I love, love, love that truck. There's one truck that's literally just like a wall of speakers and a guy with a an electric guitar, and then on the back of it is drums. Um. And the electric guitar, we should add, shoots flames out the end. And then at the big fight at the end of the movie, Max actually has a fight scene where he uses the guitar as a weapon. Mm. And it made me so happy. That was really well done with the whole like old fashioned style sort of warriors having a marching song to lead them into war kind of thing. Yeah. I that was fantastically done. Yeah, I could see how they managed to build up the war boys as well. Mm. Like, they have a drug that they spray onto their faces that makes them kind of hyped up for a short period of time. Yeah. Although, um, what's his name? Nux was supposed to be dying. And he just keeps going and going and going and going like yeah. he's fine from a lot of the movie. He's supposed to be right at the end of his life. He, uh, he gets a couple of shots of the spray. Yeah, but there's that that lasts much. I mean, yeah. the the second shot of spray goes for like three days. Yes, yeah. I like how as he sl- gradually gets more humanized, mm. the paint comes off and that stuff. He was interesting too because he made he made me really anxious, not in like a anxious way, but you know, in a whenever he showed up, I was like, oh, something bad's gonna happen, kind of way. Yeah. But then there's this moment where he falls out of favor, and then from then on, it's all really different. Yeah. That was interesting, and then by the end of it, he's like. 
the most sympathetic character. Well, yeah, he's got a great, he's got that great journey. So I thought that was really neat. And I can understand now why they picked an actor like Nicholas Holt to do it. Because mm-hmm. in the, in the trailers, you can't really tell that he's important, but no, he has to do a lot of acting. I only knew that he was in it because he did a Top Gear interview about it a few weeks ago before that show got cancelled. But just before Top Gear finished, he, he did the interview, which is one of those really interesting things about the way this film has been marketed. Like, this film has been marketed at men and petrol heads and, like, the kind of, I guess, the way they marketed the first ones. But, again, I don't know that much about the first ones. But, yeah, they marketed Well, Mad Max, the first one, came out in, like, 83, I think. Yeah, so marketing would have been significantly different to what it is now. But, I mean, they're marketed as though, instead of being a critique of hyper-masculinity, they're marketed in this really hyper-masculine way. Is that yeah. that's who they would appeal to? But it anyway, would appeal it, to them anyway it, it, oh, because yeah. it is just like it's still a petrol head movie. Like, right. It's anyway, cars and explosions and yeah. fire tornadoes. And so that's why I, that's the only reason I knew he was even in it because he's hardly in the trailer at all. He gets the big line in the trailer, though. The uh, what a lovely day trailer line, which is what a day, what a lovely, lovely day, which is a great <laughs> moment in the movie as well. So the, there's this whole interesting thing with their religion. Mm. That it seems like Immortan Joe might have made up. They, they, it's just a mixing of a bunch of different yeah. ideas. What stuff he can? Well, I guess in a post-apocalyptic world where you don't have books and teachers and things, you might just kind of mishmash all of what you know about the religions that came before you or something. Yeah, that's what it seems like. Because there's the Valhalla thing, but it's also there's this shiny and chrome concept that like. Because everything is so is cars, but everything is also so like dirty and dusty and broken down. Mm. The idea is that everything is new and shiny. Yeah, in, in Valhalla. Um, in Valhalla, and um, the War Boys, they meet death and you know head on, and they remind me of Klingons. Yeah, <laughs> I've been watching Star Trek, oh, um, right. and they remind me of Klingons. They're very like pro death and meeting their yeah. death, and that's how they meet honor. And also, um, it seems like all the War Boys are the boys are definitely dying. Yes. And I don't know why that is. I don't know what the war boys are exactly, but um, that so they die at a fairly young age. I mean, that's what that little scene with him and the redheaded girl yeah. was about, is that they're going to die anyway. Um, I kind of like also that the movie embraces this kind of nurturing, sweet, nonviolent side of the women as well as Furiosa, who's like, you know, really – tough and mm. and the other um many mothers who were quite tough mm. there's like a kindness to some of the other girls as well i i like that they are able to express a lot of different ideas of what it means to be a woman mm-hmm. especially you know in the kind of world where they have been divided into the fertile and the crones like the the other mothers had children but once they were past the age of fertility then they had to fend for themselves and they turned into really tough warriors i don't that i don't think that's what happened because the many mothers were the tribe that Furiosa came from, mm. which seems to have been a more equitable tribe and more a more of a matriarchal right. tribe. But they still live in the world, and so they've. It seems like the rest of them died off, right? And that's why they're the only ones who are left, rather than they had these specific roles to take. Yeah, they just kind of had to do what they had to yeah. do once their land died. Yes, but you're you're right. There are very many. There are lots of different ways to be a woman, and you even see it among the girls themselves. Yeah, I think the more interesting or the more obvious one is um they have like milking mothers. Back at the the Citadel, yep. they have women who are just basically milk machines. Yeah, that's um, oh God, that that is actually really disturbing when you see them all lined up being milked. Ugh. Yeah, it's not clear whether they are there like voluntarily. I say voluntarily, but you know, yep. not voluntarily. It's still something they have to do. But like, 
they're not prisoners, unlike right. the birthing like Wives. Yeah. the breeders. Yeah, because he seems to have picked out the. I mean, I they they picked out five models because he he went. Immortan Joe went around and and stole girls that he thought were pretty. Yeah, it seems like they are women who are. Fertile, because in order to breastfeed, you have to have given birth fairly recently. Right. But I but think they're, they might they're have, not like the pretty ones. Exactly. So they're not they might have given wives. birth to the ones that are dying as yeah. well, like the war boys and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's trying to find like really healthy, pretty girls so that he can have like stronger offspring. Because there's obviously a lot of problems with his offspring as well, his mm. his other kids as well. Because well, you've got the big guy and he Rictus. himself is. Clearly dying. Yes, who has just, the yeah. um the the oxygen tank on him? Yeah, and then he has a son who's in a wheelchair. Yeah, so th- there's clearly like a hereditary. There's some hereditary problem, and then of course, I mean, Morton Joe himself has got the mask on and is yep. sick. So in order to not pass on these hereditary diseases, he's going out and finding the girls, the attractive ones. Whatever. Exactly. So it was interesting to like. I, I I don't know. I kind of like that. There's a reason for like them to have those five model looking women yep. as the girls that they have because that's what he does. Yep. It's not saying that they are more important than the others. It's what he th- he wanted. We sort of touched on this before, but they all have very different skill sets and different, as you said, ways of being women. Mm. Like there's some who are is the one who's more of an earth mother nurturer. There's the one who's really feisty and likes a fight and won't back down. There's Zoe the Kravitz. Yeah. Yes. She's called Toast the Knowing, by the way. The very heavily pregnant girl who dies. By the way, I kind of love that they killed off the pregnant one, but anyway. Yeah. Because, like, you don't expect it at all. No. You think of all of them, and she's definitely- And they killed the baby, too. Yeah. You think of all of them, she's definitely going to survive, so, like- and she doesn't. I just- And then there's this little moment before she does that Mad Max is really relieved, and he does a little thumbs up that he does in the trailer, and it's kind of this real blow. It was done well, I thought. I mm. mean- you know, we talk about women dying on, like, to further men's stories all the time, but this was so different to that and so interesting. And mm. she was doing it to protect Furiosa as yeah. well. Like, she she got into that position because she was trying to protect Furiosa. It was really interesting. Well, the, the fierceness um, with which all of the women, all the all of the girls, protect Furiosa and care for her and each other as well. Yeah. Um. So she was called the Splendid Angharad. Yep. And then what are the other girls' names? There's, There's one called Capable. The, yeah, something the capable who mm. I think might be the um the blonde girl. Yep. And Cheeto is the black-haired girl. Cheeto the Cheeto the um vulnerable or something the like fragile. that. Fragile. Yep. There's one who's the dag. Really? <laughs> yeah, really. That's funny. I like that. And and Megan Gale was the Valkyrie. I was like, "Yes." The names of the these names. characters. And also we were commenting on all the jobs in the credits cuz there's like pyrotechnics expert Experts. Oh, yeah, and then- the pyro crew, the, the stunt and pyro crew on this movie. Like, we saw the health and safety, there's a health and safety supervisor. I'm like, that person had the toughest gig on the movie. But there's also, like, they do the, the makeup or the costumes, mm. and there's one guy just for masks. Yes. Just like, that's the whole job is masks. <laughs> yeah, and if you're talking commitment to look, I've not seen this kind of commitment to the aesthetic since like Lord of the Rings, it's very, very clear as to what belongs in the movie and how things look and why they look the way they look and how things are done and all the different personalities that all the cars have. Book of Life was the most recent one that I can think of where I thought the dedication to aesthetic was about this level. But the dedication to aesthetic in this is just 
I mean, it's orange and blue the whole way. Well, that was, I mean, one of the names that comes up fairly early in the credits is like colorist oh, consultant. Right. Yeah. And I was like, MVP goes to that guy. Cause yeah. I mean, the colors, oh my God, are just like amazing. It's just this dust bowl of orange mm. with the blue sky. And then everything else is orange and blue, except when they're in the, the dust storm has all these like flashes of, of black and white, white essentially. Yeah. Um, which was really amazing. That like was the crazy. whole Screen I was like, wait, out. is it gone to snow? And no, it hasn't gone to snow. It's just the screen has washed out. Yeah, because of the lightning, like the constant flashes oh, of lightning. That was crazy. By the way, if you have epilepsy, don't go see this movie. Yeah, there's a few, should come with a few trigger warnings. Um, but And then there's a bit where they get bogged at nighttime and it's all blue. Blue, yeah. And that is amazing because it's this incredibly tense scene because the truck is bogged in the mud and they need to get it out and they – they do. They're all like working. Like three times, though, and then all the other mm. get, bo- trucks get bogged get down as well. And and, and the uh, the heads of the gas town and the bullet farm get really, really mad at Immortan Joe because he's gotten them into this mm. and they're wasting so many bullets and so many cars trying to – and so much gas trying, trying to get, to get in- the girls back. And Yeah. I really like the moment when Max decides to go back and – like stop the bullet truck and you don't see what happens at all. He just comes back covered in blood, carrying yes. a bunch of bullets. Oh my God. That's one of those wonderfully effective bits of storytelling, like not seeing the shark kind of thing where your imagination fills it in. But it's also a really clear indication of who the star of this movie is. Yeah. In that it's not Max, it's Furioso who's waiting back there for Max to come back. Like, Well, there's another wonderful bit where there's only four bullets in this particular type of gun left for this particular type of gun and he's shot off three of them. And he stops and lets Furiosa shoot because she's the better shot. Yeah, and then she uses his shoulder to like lean the yeah, gun she's on. Like, Don't breathe. <laughs> so great. I loved that moment. I yeah. like their little bro TP. It was really cute. They were f- such a great team. Yeah. Like they were one of these really equal male female partnerships where both had different and complementary skills. Neither was the boss, but he, she was kind of the boss, but they were both a really tight-knit unit. I well, felt she, like- also, she puts him in the nurturing position at the end as well. Mm. To me, they were like this wonderful married couple. I know they're not, there's no romance between them, really, but they, they to me, they were like how I would want to work as a married couple, like this really equal partnership of skills. And See, I thought that was kind of the buddy cop element of the movie yeah. where like they were more like, Cop partners well, at the that end of works it, too, which yeah. kind of works when you think mm. about Max's background as well. As a cop, where they like start out fighting each other and in a like knockdown, drag out, proper fight too. Yeah, um, and he steals all her guns and like, whoa, which, that was really interesting too, though. Like, because basically all of our protagonists are in that big knockdown fight. Mm. I enjoyed, I enjoyed the ladies getting in on the fighting. Yes, me too. And also, and the mechanical repairs. I don't know why that that was another bit that was important to me. The ladies getting in on the mechanical yeah, repairs as and well, and doing what they needed to do to survive yeah. and stuff. Also, the um the bolt cutters. Oh, how the yes. bolt cutters keep coming back and coming back. And, and the bolt cutters back. are the most useful thing they have on that truck. They've got like an arsenal of weapons and knives and other things. The bolt cutters the most useful thing they have. Yeah. And also the steering wheels. Mm. I love the concept of the steering wheels. How they have the, how they have that big like pile of steering wheels, and, and each have- one ha- each person has a steering wheel, but not necessarily a car. Mm. And like you have to affix affix the steering wheel to the car that you're going to, to take, going. so that they can't steal cars and stuff. And there's like a mm. hierarchy, and there's a you know that sort of thing. Yeah, that was kind of fascinating, and and Furiosa being very high up the up the food chain has this really special steering wheel and there's a point at which the steering wheel gets taken 
and she they um fashioned one out of a wrench, basically. No, it's out of her arm, isn't it? Part wrench, part arm, I think. I mean, her mechanical her, arm. She's yeah. got an amputee. Uh, she's an amputee. Um, so yeah, which like, comes into play so many times. Like mm. I like how there's nothing that's just superfluous. Like everything is mm. kind of. It's this world made up of working pieces that all have purposes and mm. sometimes the people are used as tools and like you see that not only with the women but also with, with Max being a blood bag and things mm. like that. Yeah, fascinating idea about people moving through being objects and people and yeah. almost everyone is an object at, at some point in this movie. I also kind of wondered something. There's this whole storyline about how Furiosa was stolen from mm. when she was a child, and I wondered whether that might be an allegory for the stolen generation and if there might be some sort of like awkward, unfortunate racial implications there with her being a white woman. Mm. So then we circle back to why this movie was fascinating, from particularly from an Australian perspective, but from the African perspective and the colonialist aspects of it, mm. because – She's white, and all those other mothers are white, and almost. I think one of them of the, isn't, but I wasn't sure it's all, because it's so dusty that it's kind of hard. To yeah, that, but like eight, probably eighty percent of all the women are who are good guys are white as well, mm. and it's the whole the whole world has gone to shit in these movies because of the way white men have tried to colonize this world, and like, are the white women going to do any better? I think there's some interesting stuff in there that probably could be unpicked. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if there's even races even really addressed. There's clearly also an Aboriginal man in the beginning of like well, when I, that was, Max has these flashbacks. Yeah, that's um, that's a well-known Australian actor. That guy, the Aboriginal man at the yeah. beginning, and I think so, he might have been in one of the earlier movies. Well, that's what I guessed. He must have been in one of the earlier movies. Yeah. Like I've seen, I haven't seen Road Warrior, which is the second one. I've seen the first one and the third one, and but I don't remember them very well because I saw them like at the end of high school, beginning of university, sort of thing. The most kind of potent images I have are things like Tina Turner. But there's also, um, in the first one, there's a really awful thing that happens to Max's wife. So like, there's a couple of images that stuck in my mind. But there's, um. Um, I just remembered the thing, the MRA rant, how it said that there was a piece of American culture yep. that was being destroyed. Yep. You could fit it in with American culture because there's that thing about the scarcity of – the scarcity of water is, to me, a very Australian thing and I suspect an African thing as well because we It's live, actually happening – it's pretty bad in America at the moment, yeah. especially in California um, too. But, but in Australia, we live with this drought-stricken continent all the time and we know it. But I think there's a bit of that in America as well. And there's the, the car thing as well, which is another – it's a – factor of being in such a big place that is so you actually do need a way of getting around and that's why the cars are yeah, big I and know. powerful and yes katie katie had um, a car accident and has only just bought a new car and was a month without a car and it was not easy for her no it wasn't um and also the firearms as well we don't have the same gun culture here as they do in america but in the frontiers of australia i think that's very different and we came up as a country in violence and your know, guns and cars allowed a lot of that colonization and a lot of the way the country was made yeah and the i think guns that are interesting you can easily in the film relate as well because American. it's not it's not as gun heavy as you might think because they mm. do have very strict rules around how many guns they have and how much ammo the, they've got and how much ammo they've yeah. got because of the bullet farm thing um yeah, I, the the mechanics of this movie are really fascinating to me. Mm. Like, I wasn't thinking about it too much when I was watching the movie because I was mostly thinking like, wow, this is fun. Yeah. <laughs> this is cool. It, it's if you think about it, like it could work as like a piece of, you know, um future, what's it called? I'm not trying to think of dystopian future, but like, you know the uh when you do like study of sci-fi stuff where they're set in a like um, futurist 
No, like a what if future. Oh, a um, oh, a speculative, speculative fiction. That's it. I knew it. As like as you started saying, it. speculative fiction is what I was thinking mm. of. It would work really well as a text for a speculative fiction kind of class because it's yeah. a really fascinating, really detailed world where everything kind of fits in to neat little boxes and everything is functional. And I, I was thinking of it as kind of like dust punk. Yeah, of steampunk. It's like dust punk aesthetic. I was thinking that because there's that steampunk. All these cars are right out of the 1970s, and um, the, the big V8s and all that kind of stuff. And it's obviously steampunk is Victorian, but this is out of a very particular era, and they've used the aesthetic of that era, but also combined it with the world that they actually live in. So it doesn't mm. look like the original era at all, but it's very heavily reminiscent. Uh, yeah, dust punk is good, and I mean. The speculative fiction thing, because you can see how they got there. The lack of water, the lack of gasoline, the lack of am- of ammunition, the prevalence of disease. Like, these are all – it's like war, flood, fire, famine, pestilence. Like, you know, it's it's the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and you can see how we get there. It's really easy to see how we run out of water or we run out of oil or we run out of – bullets or food because they can't grow anything we run out of water we run out of food right yeah and you can see how it gets there food because that was such a an important plot point with the um the older lady and Mm, the mm. young blonde lady and their seeds yeah and her fascination with the seeds and stuff Mm. i i I enjoyed all of that stuff yeah i kind of like how uh all these personalities come together and they have distinct personalities and that sort of thing like nobody is just this blank slate and I, I mean, there's probably a fascinating like fan fiction story about how those women survived, the other mothers and the Valkyrie and all that kind of stuff, like the life that they have before Furiosa and the women turn up. Yeah. And what happened in between when Furiosa was taken and when she comes back. She's great too. Charlize Theron does a really good job. I think Charlize Theron and Tom Hardy have a really good understanding of one another or something like that in this movie. Like it seems like they're really well connected That's in this movie. That's what I meant by them being like this perfect married couple in, in apart from there's no sex like they just really work well together as a team yeah they seem to have a good sense of each other as actors and stuff as well mm, mm. there's this whole se- segment at the beginning like the first well the second big action scene i suppose mm. um where max is is tied to the front of a truck and he and furiosa look at each other uh, and yeah. they have this like she has this understanding of what he's going through kind of moment but that's not going to stop her from killing him if she has to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which I like. Mm. I like the uh, the um, necessity of all of it and the yeah. brutality of all of it, like that it doesn't only apply to some people, but like everybody's got to do what they've got to do to get there, whatever their goal is. And that's life in wartime, really. Yeah. And I liked the ending of it, the way Max just kind of fades off into the crowd. Was yeah. Kinda, he, he's like Mary Poppins. <laughs> yeah, he comes along, he facilitates some kind of revolution. Post-apocalyptic and he goes- Mary Poppins. <laughs> but that's, I mean, since like, at least in, in Beyond Thunderdome and this one, yeah. basically that is his job is to come along and try and yeah. help out like vulnerable people <laughs> and then go off and help the next family and float off with his magical umbrella. <laughs> Somebody's probably drawn that fan art. <laughs> <laughs> Tom they haven't yet, guys. Get on it. <laughs> Apocalyptic Mary Poppins in the dust punk world. Oh wow! Um, but yeah, I, I, it's fun. I like. I, there's a very specific look to everything in this, and and yeah. you know everybody kind of does their best. And I think very um, dialogue light, but fun. Uh, yeah, I think the thing about this one is you don't get the feeling that somebody drove up to George Miller's house with a truck of money and said, "Let's make Mad Max 4. You get the feeling that George Miller went. 
I've got an idea and maybe it'll work. And he brought on people who are really passionate about making it. It doesn't feel like this is the fourth movie and we've all reunited for money and we've tried to get Harrison Ford back and all this kind of stuff. Shh. No. I'm talking about don't you? I'm talking about the movie that never happened in the Indiana oh. Jones trilogy. I thought you were talking about Star Wars and I'm too excited about that for you to be No, no, I, I, I'm talking my about dreams. um Indiana Jones and the one we don't talk about. Ah. Or the fourth or fifth Die Hard movie where they you'd get the feeling that they've just like, oh, everybody's been after us to do this movie and we should. You get the feeling yeah. that George Miller and all his people decided that they actually, even now, 35 or however many years later, there's still some really useful, interesting things to explore in this world and that's why we should look at it and yeah. that's why we make this movie. And also maybe that there are certain like things, that capabilities they have now and certain things that maybe is more relevant now or something like that that they were interested in doing. But, yeah, it is really uh, – It certainly feels just as relevant now as it was then. Yeah. Um, I think we need to wrap up. Yeah, uh, just quickly on that. I though, could talk about this movie for another hour, I swear. Yeah, but just, just on that quickly, the – um, there's different panics now and there's the panic about infertility and about disease. cancer and disease is a more um germane sort of panic. And also um the sort of natural decline of the world, like yeah. us destroying the world. The climate change. The climate change and stuff yeah. like that. So that's Which kind become- of a lot of this movie plays into that sort of stuff. It's just the car thing is maybe not quite as... Yeah. Um, sorry, yes, I, we do have to wrap up because we have other things to do. Uh, what are you giving it? I don't know because the way I feel right now, because with the heart-pounding excitement like mm. I loved this movie, makes me want to give it five stars. Yep. Um, so I'm just going to give it five stars right now. Cool. I'm giving it four. Thank you very much for listening to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. If you want to find the show notes... You can do that on our website, silverscreenqueens.com. If you want to read Katie's reviews, they're on her blog, silverscreenqueen.wordpress.com. You can find us on Facebook, silverscreenqueens, wait, facebook.com forward slash silverscreenqueens, on Twitter at screen underscore queens, and on Tumblr, tumblr.silverscreenqueens.com. That's where you send us all of your Mad Max fan art, guys. Please. And uh, if you have time and you subscribe to us on iTunes, we'd love it if you'd write us a review. Thank you very much for listening. Please rate and review us. Thank you. Uh, We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.